there, good distinctions of the spice of life. My name's Will Wright. And I'm Teresa Morris. Here at Good Distinctions, we are all about reigniting good conversation, finding the best distinctions, and inspiring others to do the same. So, Teresa, what are we doing today? Today we are talking about philosophy and theology, a little bit about what they are, how the two of us got into them, and how they work together. Um, so if you could actually start us off and talk about a little bit about your background and how you got into studying theology and why you care about it and why you think it's important for the church right now. Absolutely. Well, I'll start all the way back at the beginning. I was born in the great white north of Canada in Ontario. Uh, I guess I don't need to go that far back. My family does live in Canada, though, so that's kind of useful information because I was baptized Anglican. My dad was an Anglican. My mom was a lapsed Catholic. And uh, we moved to North Carolina when I was two. So I say sorry, and I say y'all. And it's very confusing. And you might catch a few stories and boros and tomorrow and other weird things that I say that are holdovers from my Canadianness. Um, but when we moved to North Carolina, the Episcopal Church just didn't quite hit the same as the Anglican Church for my dad. And so when I went to Catholic school in kindergarten, um, it was just sort of natural that uh, in Greenville, North Carolina, there was a really good Catholic school. And so my dad said, well, let's go to the Catholic parish. It's not too different in terms of uh, at least the aesthetics and the looks. From the outside, it's liturgical. And so that's what we did. And I, uh, I didn't know any different. I didn't know the difference between Episcopalianism and Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And when I was in second grade, I, uh, I learned from my teachers that Jesus Christ becomes truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. And I thought to myself, well, that makes a lot of sense. God can do whatever he wants. And if this is what he's choosing to do, then why not? So be it. Uh, incidentally, around the same time, my dad was received into full communion in the Catholic mm -hmm. Church. And uh, obviously, since then, my, my parents have both become very, very practicing Catholics, very engaged in their parish. And so as time went on in high school, I had a in middle school, I had a very, very good religion teacher uh, who was also my youth minister, a man named Joe Ferris. And uh, Joe, if you're listening to this, uh, thank you for your witness. And uh, I, uh, you know, he just he taught me two things more than anything else. He said, when he when we're before Jesus and the blessed sacrament, that's as close as we get to Jesus here on earth. And so I had a very Eucharistic mindset about the church and then also a very strongly Marian uh, focus mm -hmm. as well. Praying the rosary was a big part of my spirituality as a high schooler. And I went through a question of, of uh, a, a period of questioning this phase of, is this actually what I believe? Are there other religions that have more truth and, and these sorts of things, very wishy-washy. And when I got to college, I had some very good friends who asked me hard-hitting questions and challenged me on a lot of the things that I believed and things I was espousing. And I'm very grateful to them as well, because it got me thinking, okay, not only what do I believe, but why do I believe it? And is it true? Like, is it actually true? Or is it just something I've been taught? Or do I have a wrong perception of something? Am I mis uh, misapprehending something? And so that kind of helped me narrow down a little bit. And so I ended up getting a history degree at the University of North Carolina. And that was perfectly, uh, that perfectly set me up to get my job right out of college, which was a server at Olive Garden, <laughs> which I did for about a year. And I, I loved it. It was really great. Um, it actually 
the job I had after that was working full-time in a parish for seven years. And there's a lot of overlap between serving people in a restaurant and serving people at a parish. Um, it's about creating this good experience and making sure everybody's having a good time. And um, of course, hopefully the food is value uh, valuable. But anyway, it, dealing with complaints, I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, so as a director of sacred liturgy and director of catechesis, both for children and adults, I had just started my master's in theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, where I actually had, uh, received a master of arts in two courses of study. One was catechetics and evangelization, so how to share the faith. And then the other is theology and Christian ministry, so a more academic, rigorous approach. And so that's where the, the study of theology really hit the ground for me. In the meantime, I had gotten a, a bit of a, a teacher preparation program thing going at a local community college here in Phoenix, where I live. And I... Um, I didn't quite finish that until about eight years later, just this past spring, where I uh, am now for the last year teaching at St. John Paul II High School in Avondale, teaching, uh, I was hired to teach history and religion. At the moment, I'm teaching history. Very uh, thankful for that. Grateful. It's a wonderful school. And uh, that's that's me in a nutshell. I, I have a wife and two kids who live out here. Um, my parents are less than a mile from me. It's it's wonderful. The the boys get to see their grandparents often. I get to see my parents. Awesome. So it's uh it's, it's so many awesome friends out here in, in great Catholic communities. So it was over a hundred parishes in Phoenix are in the diocese. So it's uh it, it's a really neat place to be. Uh, a little warm, but it's a dry Slightly. heat. So it's like being in yeah. a convection oven. You know, hundred and twenty degree dry heat. No big but it's, deal. But it's a dry heat. There's no humidity. So, and there's no bugs, really. So Yeah, you really never nice. sweat. It's really lovely. <laughs> it is. Uh, and then there's uh, where you live, which is cold or muggy, right? There's humidity no real central. in between. Yeah. So yeah. swampy. It's the worst. Yeah. So, so where is that? Are you talking about the swamp? You live in yeah, the, uh, near yeah, D.C., capital right? Yeah, S. Mm -hmm, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, I live in the good old D.C. area, uh, the DMV. I was born in Europe. I'm from a military family. So I grew up all over and moved around a lot as a kid. And my family kind of settled in the DC area when my dad retired when I was in high school. And so that's where my family is now. And I just recently moved back here. Um, and I currently teach philosophy and biomedical ethics in the school of philosophy at Catholic university, um, and also do curriculum development for Catholic schools. So I grew up Catholic. My family is really wonderful. My parents are incredibly faithful people. The faith was really integrated into my life as a kid. I always say my parents did liturgical living before it was cool. Like it was just, our whole life was kind of oriented around the liturgical calendar in really fun, cool ways. So I grew up with this sense of closeness to Christ and to the faith and never really doubted it much or it just was like, oh yeah, of course, kind of like what you were saying where it was like, this makes sense. If this is how God has done it, then cool. I'll, you know, I'll listen to that. And then when I went to high school in Virginia, I went to a Catholic high school that was run by the Nashville Dominicans and 
I say in a lot of ways, like they kind of raised me in a sense, because that school had, in addition to studying theology, which like any Catholic school you go to, you have like at least one theology class per year. They also had this four-year ethics, bioethics curriculum where you were also taking philosophy classes every year. And that completely changed the trajectory of my life. And I just fell in love with philosophy. I loved it. They were my favorite classes. And it was where I was first introduced to just a really clear way of being able to think through problems and work through things and view the world. And it was, it was Dominican. So it was obviously Thomas Aquinas and a really Aristotelian philosophy. And so what I wanted to then study was bioethics that that in particular had really grasped my interest. And I really cared deeply about how this clear way of thinking that philosophy proposes is needed in the world today with a lot of biotechnologies and interventions mm -hmm. that are available. But no college offers a bioethics major. And so mm. what I did is I went to Catholic University in DC and I studied philosophy um, and really just continued to fall in love with it. And my sophomore year in particular, in that fall semester, I was taking a class on epistemology, which is like philosophy of knowledge. Like, what does it mean that we can know anything? Can we know anything? Is reality real? And that professor was like Socrates reincarnate. Like he just forced us to really make good distinctions between things and be as clear as possible. And so I really felt empowered in that course to actually do philosophy and do it well. And then I was also taking a history of ancient philosophy class. And that also helped me fall in love with it, where just reading the ancients and the way they viewed the world and how invested they were in wonder and beauty and making sense of their own existence and wondering about God and deities just was so incredible because as a Catholic with a Catholic foundation, you then read these philosophers who weren't Christian and had no sense of Christ. And you're like, wow, they, they're talking about Christ without knowing him or knowing that the truth, capital T, that they're speaking about is him. And so that was just really phenomenal. And after college, I went and did a year of mission work in Central America, where the work that I was doing was teaching in a high school. And I felt very called at that time to become a teacher. It was not my plan at all. And while I was there, one of those Nashville Dominicans who had been with me in high school reached out to me and said, hey, we're doing this thing. We're starting this school out in Phoenix, Arizona. Do you want to come teach there? And I said, yeah, I'll move to Arizona. I grew up moving around. Like it didn't phase me at all. And I kind of went with this thought of like, oh, I'll stay for a year and see how I like it. And I just absolutely fell in love both with Arizona as a whole. Like I love the desert. I love the mountains. The Diocese of Phoenix, like you were saying, is such a vibrant, healthy diocese. Um, it was so great to be able to enter into that diocese under Bishop Olmsted and the vision that he had for the diocese as a whole and our school in particular. And then I really fell in love with just the students and the community in that school in particular. So that was just this wonderful four years of my life. I was teaching philosophy and ethics and then um, last summer moved back to the DC area to, to then transition, to do that at the college level. And like you said, it's, yeah, it's swampy here. It's really the <laughs> humidity isn't my favorite thing, but I'm near family and I miss Arizona a lot, but it's good to be able to be, um, still in touch with it and 
it was funny about a week or two before I left, I met Will at a confirmation party for one of our students. And, um, we were just like talking for a while and I was like, gosh, darn it. Like, I'm not going to be teaching at the school anymore when you're entering in and I'm leaving. Um, Meanwhile, I had no idea you were leaving and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. And then I'm already meeting some great coworkers. We're going to have great conversations at the lunch table. And then actually, no, I'm moving clear across the country, not just a little bit away or another school, but bye. Yeah. Uh, So one question you in the middle of there, where did you get a master's degree? I got a master's degree from Loyola Chicago. Um, and that master's is really is an interesting thing. When I was hired to teach at JP2, one of the courses I was hired to teach was bioethics, which was like mm-hmm. my dream come true because that's what I had always been so interested in. Mm-hmm. But I was very acutely aware of the fact that I had all this, I mean, incredible foundation in philosophy by having a degree in it. But bioethics is a bit different. And sometimes mm-hmm. the way that things need to be thought about, or the way things are done practically in hospital settings or in care is not sometimes what gets taught in the classroom. And we need to be able to use the language that someone's going to face with an end-of-life decision that's actually being used when we're teaching people how to think through it. So I felt that it would be important to be able to get that and really take this kind of like broad view of philosophy and really hone in on this one particular practical aspect of it. So I did that while I was teaching, which okay. you can do. I don't know if I would recommend getting a master's while you're teaching full time, but yeah, it, I, uh, well, I, I, it took me five years to get my master's at Franciscan and I was doing it while working full time with yeah. a wife and, uh, for <laughs> most of that with at least one child. So oh it my was, gosh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lot. Um, yeah, definitely doable, but, but kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like you're like cheating life when you're done. You're like, yes. my on vacation. <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm done I with work. I don't have so to much do free anything. Time. Yeah. Mm. So what nice. am I going to do with this free time? Let's get. We always seem degree. to find things. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Bridget, if you're watching this, she said it, not me. I didn't say that. Um, you know, I it's uh, it's interesting when you're bringing up how the ancients know, sort of knew Christ in a sense, even before. Uh, the incarnation. And it's, Mm -hmm. this is why we wanted to start with this conversation of theology and philosophy and our different backgrounds first. So you listeners of good distinctions can kind of know who we are and where we come from, what our expertise are, because we're very excited. We're going to be talking about all kinds of different topics that aren't just theology or aren't just philosophy. This isn't like uh, Catholic stuff you should know podcast, which I love, by the way, shout out to them. But it's mm-hmm. it's not catechetical primarily, and it's not even educational primarily. We want to really reignite these good conversations to find good distinctions. We and inspire you to do the same. It's practical. It's something mm-hmm. that we practice ourselves, and we recognize that when we reconnected while Teresa was here for graduation, we we had some good conversations, and I thought, you know. I wish other people would do this. I get, I, I'm spoiled. I mean, at, at St. John Paul II mm-hmm. High School, we have these conversations at lunch yeah. all the time and outside of school and after school. And there's some amazing people on faculty. But I thought, you know, anybody, anybody could really benefit from thinking clearly, making good distinctions so that we don't swing to these extremes, to these excesses or deficiencies and really find mm-hmm. the virtuous mean. Um, yeah. So and all that important. being said, yeah, go ahead. 
just that it's also, it's important to do in conversation with another, because Mm -hmm. if I fall into this illusion that I can make good distinctions or come to the proper conclusions on my own in isolation, that typically doesn't actually work out so well (laughs) that you need to sometimes piece through things with another to be, um, able to actually find like the full truth of things and get as good of a distinction as you possibly can. Not just like how far can my own mind take me, but to be in conversation with another person. And then also with anyone who also participates in these conversations that it's not that we're like, we know all the distinctions there are to know, and we're (laughs) just going to tell you, it's like, we're actually seeking these out and you do that in conversation and in relationship with others. Well, and, and that's what we plan on doing on these videos as well. And uh, maybe not in our individual podcast, because we will mm-hmm. be doing those will be those will be more prepared. But our conversation videos, I think we'll be doing a lot of that in real time, thinking it through, reasoning it through so that we can model it for people. Yeah. And we'll probably say stupid things. And we'll hopefully catch each other on it. And if we don't, we hope you'll catch us and say something and we can keep a conversation going. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's so interesting when we think about the ancients, uh, like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and all the rest of the, the, the Greek philosophers and then the Romans and, and everyone else, uh, before Christ came before the incarnation, they were able to, by the light of human reason alone, arrive at truths like that God exists, right? Not the triune God, but they could understand that there was an uncreated creator and an unmoved mover and that there's an uncaused cause rather there's like this, Mm -hmm. this pinnacle of creation, the, this, this one who created all things and everything is ordered to that Mm -hmm. creator. That's something we can know by the light of human reason. The first Vatican council says this clearly, but there's a lot of other truths that we can know by the light of human reason that our souls survive death, that Mm -hmm. um, like these all belong to philosophy or uh, what could be called natural theology, right? This this mm-hmm. idea that it's all ordered somewhere. And I think where theology comes in is it takes that language of philosophy and it orders it to what God has revealed. Mm-hmm. Because if we trust that God exists, that Jesus is God, and that the Catholic Church is the church that Jesus founded, those are the three principles that I base my life on, um, that I, I take as foundational truths and there's a lot of good reasons for those things. I mean, those those are not just sort of blind faith moves. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that the ancients could know God simply by the light of human reason, that's, that's a philosophical pursuit. The fact that Jesus is God. Well, as C.S. Lewis says, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And as we know from the testimony of history... Jesus performed miracles, not least of which being rising from the dead. These are are not just um, sort of neat things. These are testimonies to the fact that he is who he says he was. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the Catholic Church being the church of Jesus Christ, first of all, no other church claims that. it's, Mm -hmm. It's astounding. There's no other religion in the world that claims to be founded by God himself. Uh, in the flesh. And so it's, it, it's, uh, it's just a walk through history, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so these are all sort of philosophical pursuits in a very real sense, whether through the lens of history or, or uh, pure philosophy. Mm-hmm. But then theology sort of builds upon that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering what you would say to someone. So philosophy is always called the handmaiden of theology in the sense that philosophy sort of sets out these first principles and these foundations and ways of speaking and modes of language and whatnot that theology then takes and kind of runs with and uses Mm. 
a lot. But one of the arguments against theology as a science or like a field of study sometimes is that it may be dangerous to assent to ideas that we can't verify because philosophy is so much about like, what can I verify? What can I reason my mm. way to? And theology does accept a lot of things through faith. And so what would you say to this kind of pushback against like, well, it might be dangerous to assent to something you can't actually verify? Sure. I mean, I would, I would say that at the very least, we have to look carefully at the things that are uh, where evidence and argumentation sort of converge. Mm -hmm. Even St. Thomas Aquinas talks about this with his proofs, his five ways for God. These aren't slam dunk arguments. He, he calls mm -hmm. them converging and convincing arguments. And so I think that's where we start is we can reason only so far. But then we have to accept that these things are revealed by God. But like I said, if we go back to does God exist, that's not going to get us to the Trinity. Mm -hmm. um, that That's a mystery that we do have to accept on faith, not because it's somehow uh, completely unknowable, right? There, there's certain things about it that we can know because it's been revealed. Um, but that God is so high above us, we cannot comprehend it. I mean, there, there's certain truths about God, and that makes sense uh, simply because if God is who we claim he is, of course, we're not going to be able to wrap our minds around that infinite reality. And, and so as St. Thomas Aquinas also says, uh, this will probably be a theme throughout our conversations is just St. Thomas, St. Thomas, St. Thomas. Aquinas. Um, he's, he's the best. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he even says that we can't know God positively. We can only know him negatively, mm -hmm. and we can only know what he is not. Yeah. Um, so when we say that he is limitless, we're literally saying he is without limit, uh, mm -hmm. or that if he is all knowing, we're saying that there is no ignorance in him, um, that if he's all powerful, he has no weakness in him, like these mm -hmm. sorts of things. So there are certain things that we have to take on faith, but we're trusting the testimony of God himself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, it, it is a matter of faith. It's this, it's this balanced approach between, we don't want to see it as a blind leap of faith because there's very good converging and convincing arguments to trust uh, mm -hmm. sacred scripture, to trust the church. Uh, but at the end of the day, yes, you have to take that step. You have to take mm -hmm. that ascent of faith. And that's where it truly is believing uh, and not necessarily knowing something as if like, I know you because I'm speaking to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there is sort of this interchange, but at the end of the day, it does come down to accepting the authority of not only the church, but even just historical records. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have more evidence for the gospels than we do for Cicero um, in terms of like things we actually wow. have written about him. I mean, uh, Brant Petrie, Dr. Brant Petrie wrote a book called The Case for Jesus. Uh, or case for Christ, one of, the, one of those titles. And he talks about the historicity of the gospels and some of the early church sources like the Didache. And it's mm -hmm. amazing how much firmer those are, historically speaking, um, than almost any of the Romans, including Josephus, who's a historian, who we just sort of take as, as fact, as gospel truth, if you will, even though, you know, we don't even have anything that he wrote. We just have what people wrote about much, much later. Um, yeah. 
we actually have some fragments of scripture from before the time of Christ that were found in the caves of Qumran uh, less than 100 years ago. So uh, when we look at the totality of everything, I, I think that that line of, of Aquinas of converging and convincing arguments really mm -hmm. is a winner. Um, because I mean, I'll, I'll ask you a question. So when it comes to philosophy, what sort of errors or dangers can you fall into if you don't have that right ordering, if you're, if you're not aiming in the right direction mm -hmm. and don't answer modern philosophy, cause that's not, that's too broad. Yeah. That's too broad. Modernism. Yeah. It would be true. It would be true. But anyway, continue. Yeah. Easy. Done. Moving <laughs> on. Um, yeah, I think one of the the huge gifts that philosophy gives any thinker, whether they're actually a philosopher or just kind of using the tools that philosophy provides is the ordering of knowledge to say, what is the final cause of a thing? What is the end mm -hmm. goal? What is the ultimate end of an action, a person, a thing, a being, whatever it is. So you start with this knowledge of like, where am I trying to get to? And when you start with the end in mind, then you're able to check yourself along the way. And you're able to say, well, I know what this thing is for. So if something that it's doing is antithetical to what it's for, whatever this end goal is, then there must be something wrong in how I'm using it or in what's happening here. And sometimes what can happen in philosophy is we don't name that end goal or we incorrectly name it or we name mm -hmm. it by what we would like it to be or there's a lot of doubt around this. This is the Cartesian thing is where it's like, yeah. oh no, I'm all of a sudden freaking out that like this fire in front of me isn't actually in front of me. And now <laughs> what do I do? Um, so we don't trust things that are really essential. And I think that's something that's happening in our world today is we're not trusting reality and philosophy really mm -hmm. relies on reality that mm -hmm. what is in front of me is what it is and I can name it and I can know it. And then I can move on and then I can know things about it. But if we're not able to say with certainty, like this is a desk, this is a microphone, you are a person. And I start saying or naming things that aren't true, then philosophy just becomes jumbled. And I think that's one of the reasons people can be a little apprehensive about doing philosophy is it's like, well, how do I even sort through all of those things? Because no one's saying the right things and there's all this mess of language. So I think philosophy's greatest strength and greatest weakness are kind of two sides of the same coin that the mm -hmm. greatest strength is clarity of thought clarity of language and the capacity to be able to name what things are what they're for and then when we don't do that well and we're unable to name the truth of things and the truth of what something is ordered towards then we just end up doing really poor philosophy and then it just becomes mm -hmm. kind of just my own thinking and this is just you know, random people sort of hypothesizing about ideas, mm -hmm. which is why philosophy gets this rap of like, oh yeah, people who do weed in college study philosophy because they just want to like chat about what they're thinking. What even is green, man? <laughs> what? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the other day I thought, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> well, it's like words it's actually like have meaning. Thing. Words are symbols for reality. They, they, they mm -hmm. are actually signposts that say, this is what this thing is. Mm -hmm. Um, which is why, as you said, like postmodernism is ridiculous, which I know we'll talk about it in a later, yeah. at a later time, but I think there's a, 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 what you're saying is definitely very, um, <clears throat> very true. I was thinking about Kate, uh, Descartes uh, as soon as you started speaking, cause I know that one of the, one of his favorite ways to do philosophy, at least in the later half of his life was just to lie in bed 
and sleep in <laughs> until 12 noon or one and just sort of be thinking in his bed. And that was his way of doing philosophy. And and that's mm-hmm. why I love, in a, in a sense, that's why I love being Catholic because mm-hmm. Catholicism and whether it's theology or philosophy, there's this big push to say, actually see a thing, look mm-hmm. at reality, observe, investigate, because what we're seeing is the effects of our creator, right? Mm-hmm. This is why there's so many scientific advancements made by solid Catholics over the last 500 yeah. years, even in the midst of the enlightenment, in the midst of the scientific revolution that was so opposed to God in many respects, some of the greatest minds were simply saying, I'm studying science and nature because it's the handiwork uh, of of God. And why, why shouldn't I? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's true. It's Mm -hmm. good. Uh, and, and so I think when we bring that to bear on whatever topic, uh, we're discussing that. And again, that's why we wanted to start with this conversation of theology and Mm -hmm. philosophy, because we're going to be using these tools to investigate whatever topics, uh, are up for grabs that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think there's something, um, you know, like I said earlier, philosophy is always viewed as like a philosophy serves theology and it, and mm. it does for sure, but it also goes both ways. Um, so the language and the mode of thinking and the tools philosophy provides theology really uses, but mm-hmm. there's something really freeing that knowing theology or even just being a Christian provides philosophy because sometimes if I operate only in the mode of philosophy, then I can put my own reason on a pedestal mm. and, and then my own mind or my own intellect kind of becomes a God in a sense where it's on me to determine things that are already predetermined. And Mm -hmm. so if I already know, you know, who God is and that this God, the ancients are talking about is Christ and he loves me and I can be in relationship with him and I can receive him in the Eucharist. There's something so freeing to that, to Mm -hmm. know that a lot of these questions philosophy asks find their answer. And I would even argue every question we could ever ask finds its answer in Christ, Mm -hmm. but um, a lot of these major questions find their answer in Christianity. And so it's very freeing to have theology, you know, provide that extra step. Um, because then what theology tells me about God then impacts my actions. Philosophy is so concerned. Ethics is so concerned with human action. And so that can help theology think through certain actions that are okay or not okay for Catholics to do. But then also what I believe about God affects how I act because my actions are ordered towards something, whether or not I know that they are ordered towards something, they're either ordered towards a a good or not. So, so they really, they're very interchangeable. They really serve one another so well. There's a very fluid dynamic relationship. Um, Well, and you can tell when theologians are not well-versed in philosophical reasoning because mm -hmm. they can go off the rails so easily. I mean, it's not just a matter of, uh, of first principles in terms of theology. They might be reasoning ineffectually and actually arrive at absurd conclusions that are very, very far mm-hmm. from the truth. Um, so it's definitely mm-hmm. an interplay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, we're about at 30 minutes and I think that's good for a first episode. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention, Teresa? I don't think so. I think, yeah, it's a solid intro. We're going to absolutely. There's so much really we're going to talk about things. So. Absolutely. And we've got all kinds of different topics. We're going to talk about psychology, sociology, politics, history, you name it. And if you have ideas, send them in to us. You can comment on YouTube at Good Distinctions or on Instagram at Good Distinctions uh, or Facebook as well. And 
the best place to go to find everything, to make sure you're on our list, to be a subscriber is to go to gooddistinctions.com and you can sign up for free or a paid subscription as low as $5 a month. And we have uh, at least two paid articles per month that we're going to be doing, one by me, one by Teresa, on all sorts of different topics that are more commentary based, maybe a little spicier. Um, Good Distinctions is the spice of life. These ones are going to be like red hot, like get your, get some water, you know, um, maybe not always that spicy, but they're going to be solid. And then, uh, once a month each, we're going to be doing a podcast episode on, uh, all sorts of different things, educational, theological, catechetical, philosophical, just trying to, to really relay something that we've learned that we think is worth you learning. Uh, and then we'll be doing these conversation videos to, again, just think in real time, really get to the heart of uh, some issues and make good distinctions and and be the better for it mm-hmm. to orient our lives in the direction that it needs to be to to live more fulfilled, happy lives. That's not just a mere contentment, but a true lasting happiness in Christ. One thing that I know we talked about offline before that I think is worth mentioning here Uh, just popped into my head was this thought about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and the rest, knowing the logos, knowing reason, uh, wisdom, and then upon their death, going before our Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I just have to imagine that they go, it's you. Hey, (laughs) like I just, I, that would be so cool. It would be so cool. To be so vindicated too. Yeah. To be like, I got it. I knew it. (laughs) <laughs> and then to be like, wow, it's you. It's awesome. The best there's so much, there's so much that we can get to with reason, but we need mm-hmm. theology as well. And it helps us to see the world as it is, not as we would have it. And to really make distinctions, find those definitions, find where uh, we're free to diverge from sort of traditional consensus on things and, and where we really shouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. And and to be able to say with certainty, this is what this thing is. This is what this thing is. Or to to make those good distinctions and say, you know what, this one's actually up to prudential judgment. There's a diversity of opinion, and that's okay, uh, mm-hmm. because it's more of an application of principles rather than a principle itself. That's something that a lot of people uh, mix up, at least in my yeah. experience as well. So, yeah, gooddistinctions.com, at Good Distinctions, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Anything else? That's it. We're excited to have these conversations. We're pumped to have you guys follow along. Good distinctions are the spice of life. 